Welcome to Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast. I'm your host, Luke Darnell. It is definitely barbecue season. The world is opening back up, people are getting together, and the smokers and grills are fired up. Nothing, though, is hotter in barbecue than Bill Purvis with Chicken Fried Barbecue out of Texas. He's tearing up the competition barbecue circuit in both KCBS and CBA. Bill is a great guy who I got to meet earlier this year, and I really think you'll enjoy this conversation with him. Please welcome Bill Purvis. This episode is brought to you by the Barbecue League. The Barbecue League is the ultimate barbecue experience. Here's why. One small annual investment from you instantly unlocks all 70 plus tell-all recipes, enthusiast recipes, restaurant tours, and more in their unmatched library. This isn't your typical YouTube type content. World champions like Get and Basted, Shake and Bake Barbecue, Heavy Smoke Barbecue, La Pasadita Barbecue, and 913 Barbecue share their full tell-all recipes. No secret is left unsaid, and a new video release is guaranteed every single week of your membership. You'll also see unfiltered looks from all levels of pitmasters during their live competition coverage. And those same pitmasters are accessible through the league's upbeat online community. As soon as you sign up, you'll also have a full arsenal of some of the best discounts in barbecue from brands like Snake River Farms, Blues Hog, Big Papa Smokers, Gunter Wilhelm, Gateway Drum Smokers, and more. The Barbecue League puts on members-only contests throughout the year, hosts live and virtual events, and offers a full-access league lounge at participating events. Listeners to this podcast can receive $10 off of the $100 annual membership this month only by using the code JUNEPITMASTER, all capital letters, all one word, JUNEPITMASTER, on thebarbecueleague.com. So we are here today with arguably the hottest cook in barbecue right now mr bill purvis from chicken fried barbecue how you doing bud i'm doing pretty good how are you i'm fantastic man fantastic i get to cook a cook a contest this weekend so i'm super psyched (laughs) oh man that's uh yeah you haven't been able to cook a whole lot huh so no business sometimes has to take precedence over uh contests so right but I keep an yeah, eye on it. I don't know it, that I'm the hottest cook, but I've had had a couple of good weeks, two good weeks. Uh, so uh, I think uh, there's there's definitely guys out there like Brad and Wolf's Revenge. He got another GC this weekend. Uh, so Slaps is climbing up the rings as well, just getting yeah. started, you know? Oh, it's so, just the, oh. the season is young, my friend. The season is young. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I had the, the great fortune of uh, getting to finally meet you this season. I believe we were down south. I want to say, was it Myrtle Beach where we met? Yeah. Myrtle Beach. Yeah, yeah. Myrtle Beach. Place brisket. I remember that. So That's the only call I got that day. <laughs> <laughs> I remember running around all you Texas guys going, did you guys put burn ends in? You guys are like, nope. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> I couldn't believe I did it, but they were really good that day. So let's talk about your your current success. And I mean, you are basically a house of fire right now. And when I met you, one of the things that really came out of me meeting you was that you know, you're a pretty confident guy. You believe in what you're doing. You have a great smile and you're just happy to be there and you love cooking. Where does that confidence come from when you're cooking barbecue? 
You know, I think I played sports my whole life. So I've always played a lot of team sports mm-hmm. and I've always been kind of, I don't know, I've always been on winning teams, if you will, you know, for whatever reason growing up, I've always seemed to do well. And uh, whether I played baseball, I played a lot of football. So I've always just seemed to, and even in football, you know, growing up and going to high school, I wouldn't show up for practices. But, you know, usually whenever the season got going, they would have me starting and everything else, even though the coaches kind of didn't want to start me because I was kind of undisciplined. Uh, they knew they would have a better chance of winning if I was in the game. So, so I've just, I think, I, I think really sports growing up is probably, you know, I've just, I've always, I don't know, for whatever reason, I've always done well and been on winning and teams. So. Competitive edge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, in barbecue, whether it was golf, you know, I was really deep into golf at one point and, uh, you know, I excelled at golf. I don't think I ever got down to a scratch, but for, you know, a hack on the weekends, I was able to shoot in the seventies pretty regularly, got to like an eight handicap. And, and that was just playing two times a week, you know, and never really taking a lesson, maybe one or two lessons at the little golf galaxy uh, thing with the computer, (laughs) but not actually investing any hardcore time in it. Yeah. But yeah, the golf game is not near as what it is (laughs) then as it is now. So (laughs) (laughs) I've actually, after some time off, I've gotten back into it. I too was down to an eight handicap, and right now I'm around a thirteen. So, right. <laughs> not bad. Just have fun with it. Not bad at all. You know, yeah. you can win plenty of money with a thirteen handicap. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that uh, that you were undisciplined. Do you think that getting involved in competition barbecue has changed that a little bit? I'm still pretty. I'm still pretty unstructured, if you will, you know, everything is kind of gets done just in time, you know, uh, I mean, I just cooked Cedar Fest and I procrastinated trimming chicken. Mm -hmm. And so I just trimmed chicken there. I trimmed everything at the contest, pork butts. I had a team bringing me pork butts and I trimmed chicken there and I got a 180 (laughs) and I trimmed chicken in Mississippi at the contest and got first place. My only two first place chickens are from me trimming chicken at the contest. So is, uh, is that something you'll do from now on? It won't be, it won't be, but it's, <laughs> it's definitely something that's sticking in my head going, you know, you've had two first place chickens and both of them uh, you've trimmed uh, at the contest. So, <laughs> so you're but not, it wants, it wants to grab a hold of me, you know? So Exa- yeah, they always it wants do to sneak that... in there and make a case for something. So <laughs> So you're not a, you got to do the same thing every day that we get into a contest guy. No, no, definitely not. No, yeah. no. You know, I listen to a lot of the podcast and everything and, you know, a lot of your podcasts too. And, you know, I hear people talk about, you know, I'm obviously pretty new at, at barbecue relative to a lot of you guys, but I hear, you know, you guys, Hey, take things away from your process if it's not working. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I latched onto that pretty early on to where, if it's not making a difference, I'm not doing it. I'm lazy by nature, you know, and I've won contests with just running charcoal, no wood, no nothing, no wood chips, no pellets, no, you know, just, I'm just going to run charcoal. And, uh, yeah. I mean, my first GC, I ran briquettes, Kingsford briquettes right next to Phil Breeden and he reserved it and he's in there, you know, playing with the wood and everything else. And 
I ran straight briquettes, nothing, you know, and it smells nasty and Kingsford and he didn't, you know, man, I get that smell away from me. He's over there, you know, burning a clean fire. And <laughs> I, I just, like I said, if, if I can't really see it making a big difference, yeah, like I said, listen to you guys yank it out of the process. So absolutely. That's, that's one thing that I think that I know we talk about, it seems like every week, but if, if something's going wrong, never add that's yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I'm using less, I'm using less and less rubs. It seems like every contest yeah. where I could maybe go to a contest with just three or four rubs and that's it, you know? So <laughs> you said I'm uh, lazy by nature reminded me of that line from a uh, 10 cup. <laughs> When the Earl's the caddy, he's like, I'm not cut out for this shit. I'm an observer by nature. <laughs> it's one of my favorite movie quotes of all time. Oh, man. Yeah, so, so let's get into some questions, some more questions. Yeah. How has, what's your, how have your life and career experiences outside of barbecue prepared you to be a pit master? Well, I do think, you know, I worked in the logistics business and everything was timing, you know, everything. And I was working in the oil field. So everything was kind of on a, everything was urgent and everything was, you know, we called it a just in time environment, you know, suppliers getting stuff ready, but everything was, and that's one thing I've noticed. And I probably, one of the more important things about barbecue is timings on everything, especially around finishing, you know, and getting my, getting the product into the judges. So just kind of working out some rough timelines to where my finishing processes, I want to time them to where I'm delivering hot cooked food to the judges, you know, as warm as it can possibly be. I don't want my pork to get cold and get, you know, I want to keep everything really warm. So I think just from juggling logistics, being able to, and making kind of a switch from IBCA to over to CB or KCBS, it's, it's a lot more process driven having to juggle four meats all with the 30 minute windows. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and just making sure I hit those, hit those marks on, on timing issues. So the food's going to get done when it gets done. But when I start finishing, I want to make sure I hit, I kind of have rough ideas of, of when I want to start my process on pork ribs, brisket to make sure that I finish and I'm not running out of time and having to rush that I had leave myself ample time to get every, you know, to, yeah. to taste all my ribs, to taste all my money muscles, to make sure I pick the right ones to go into the box. Yeah, I, I can tell. Which I how think that's helped out a lot, you know? Yeah, I can tell how a day's going to go if chicken's in the box and gone at 11.54. Right. You know, that means that I've got my full amount of time to mess with the ribs and find all the perfect ones that I want. And right. it kind of sets the tone for the for the entire time. So one of the things that, you know, I always ask this question about, you know, failures during competition. Do you have any big failures that happened that you really learned from that has set you up for the success you're having now? Probably. I don't really do too much practice cooking at all. I mean, I like to cook every weekend. So a lot of any, if I'm going to try something new, I usually just try it at a competition. I wanted to put grill marks on my chicken. So I'd seen, you know, some of these SCA guys, how they have the weights. Yeah. So one of my, I don't know, one contest that I decided to put grill marks on my chicken, I actually put a weight on the chicken after I set the chicken down and really didn't have a, just didn't know a timing of how long it would take to set the grill marks. And I think (laughs) I had it in there for four or five minutes and a weight on top of a chicken. I mean, it left like, 
valleys, you know, it looked like <laughs> somebody had stomped on the chicken on grill grates. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I've got, a, I've got several of, uh, several of those experiments that didn't necessarily work out so well, you know, uh, <laughs> needless to say, chicken didn't walk that day. And I realized that five minutes was uh, a bit too long for grill marks on chicken. So, uh, have you had any moments where, and it's funny cause my wife just asked me this question the other day. She's like, she's like when you're cooking and you do you do something do you have you ever had a moment where you're like i need to stop doing that because it's stupid <laughs> i'm sure i have just trying to think of one i'm sure uh i'm sure i have i can't think of any of them just now but yeah it's i try to remove anything out like i said that that doesn't seem like it makes sense you know uh, yeah are you a note taker uh, you cook? no no, I do take I do take notes on my phone, but it's a very simple note. And it's basically me putting times in on my I'll write on my phone what time I put brisket on, what time I put pork on, what time I flip my pork, what time I wrap my pork. Mm -hmm. But I never finish the notes on what time I pull things off. <laughs> I just never I never write down, oh, pork came off at this time or brisket came off. So all my notes will be what time I put everything on, what time I wrapped everything, and then nothing. Because I just feel, I, I mean, I, just, I guess when the feel. food gets done, it gets done. And I maybe I don't want to be, hey, you know, last time brisket finished at this time. This time it should finish at this time because it probably won't finish at the exact same time as the right. last one. So, But I know from my notes, from those notes, that if I wrapped pork at, you know, I usually put pork on at, five o'clock in the morning. I'm, I'm pretty early bird on getting pork and brisket kind of out of my way mm -hmm. and in the Cambro to mess with chicken and ribs. So if I put pork on at five and I end up wrapping it at seven, I know at eight o'clock, 745, I'll start checking money muscles. Yeah. And then I'm checking every 15 minutes just based on the temperature. Uh, and then each pork butt will come off. Usually they don't all usually come off at the same time. You know, they'll come off at different times. So uh, I don't, I don't make any notes on, like I said, on when I'm pulling things off. Yeah. That's actually quite philosophical. I'll kind of dig it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, cause if you establish that in your brain, that that's when it's supposed to come off, then you're fighting your own intuition. Really. Right. Right. And, and that's definitely, you know, I've heard your show a lot. I mean, it's, you know, uh, you know, and you always talk about gut feelings and cooking. And I mean, even this last week I was, you know, sitting there cooking at plant or in Cedar Fest and the brisket had been on quite a long, you know, probably longer than normal. And it just wasn't feeling spongy enough for me or yeah, I was pushing it and pushing it. And, you know, it's just kind of like, you got to listen to that gut of when you think enough is enough. And you don't want to melt the thing into pieces, but at the same time too, you, you know, you want it to be tender and it right. always seems to be a little bit different. Each brisket seems to be a little bit different in the way it feels and, right. and but trying to rely on that gut to when to, when to pull these meats, you know, when to pull ribs and when to pull brisket and make sure you're not overcooking them. Right. And but you got to also watch them in the Cambro and stuff like that too, you know, just making sure that they're taking energy off of that and keeping it consistent from week to week. What yeah, I mean, this week in Cedarfest, I had, you know, I have one of those ice things that goes in the camera to keep things cold. It's like a big yeah. square thing that slides that you freeze it. I don't. Yeah. And I'd forgotten that it was in there. Pork was the first thing finished and that 
I'm like, oh man, I got I got two butts that are finished, and my Cambros has still got the freaking ice block in it, you know. Uh, <laughs> so I was a little worried, but I ended up getting first place fork, so it didn't seem to hurt. But uh, I was a little concerned with that. But at the same token, just keep on moving. I, I pulled it out, let the Cambro vent for forever. I thought about throwing some hot water in it just to heat it up a little bit, but the thought passed. I got busy doing something else. So. <laughs> That's what's great about barbecue, man. There's a thousand different ways to do it. Right, uh, right. Exactly. And you said it, I think you said it perfectly earlier when you're like, if this isn't doing anything, I'm taking it out. <laughs> That's a great philosophy. Yeah. Let's switch into some gear questions. What's one of the best or most worthwhile investments that you've made in competition barbecue? Well, I definitely think it's not necessarily gear, but definitely the barbecue league videos in there have for someone that's not used to doing KCBS to watch those videos and, and just get an idea of timelines. And I still watch them today. You know, I'll go back and watch, I was watching slaps last night, you know, and just kind of not necessarily trying to dissect any of his recipes, but watching his timelines on when he processes this, when he processes that, uh, yeah. because mine is very much. Like I said, mine's very much gut feeling. A lot of times when I start, I don't have an exact time. Oh, I want to start glazing chicken. I don't know that I've done it enough, Luke, to know that I want to glaze my chicken at 1135, you know, and I want it back on for 10 minutes or five minutes or six and a half minutes. I, I don't have anything that precise, you know, so yeah. but barbecue league for a hundred bucks, man. I mean, there's just so much good information there. There really is. It is a tremendous program that they have put together. And I won't lie. I spend a lot of time on there watching videos too. It's yeah, um, mostly just to make fun of whoever's in the video. <laughs> but gears and gadgets wise, probably not a whole lot. I cook on drums, so I don't, I don't really mess with too many of, you know, I have a thermopin obviously, but I think maybe uh, sometimes for the shakers, I'll use those clear little plastic shakers with the removable lids. Yeah. Uh, just to kind of evenly distribute some of my rubs, especially on ribs. I like to kind of, you know, I don't want, you know, I want to get, I'll use, I'm from Texas, so we've got black pepper in our rubs, you know, so uh, I want my black pepper to kind of evenly distribute across the ribs. I don't want a big clumps of it. So I'll use those little clear plastic guys. Yeah, those those little shakers are indispensable. I uh, just they yeah. just a nice even coat. It's really really nice, yeah. and they work a lot better than some of the cheaper shakers that the rubs come in. So yeah, so you don't but use. I will get lazy. Too. I'll get lazy too, and just you know, <laughs> and fly by the seat of the pants and decide not using them. It's uh, I want it's all very fluid. I want to come cook. It's all you. very it sounds amazing. <laughs> oh, it's a train wreck. You know, so <laughs> it is seriously a train wreck. Uh, Let's talk about some everything people. is made right before, like I said, sauces, all that stuff right before I need it. I'll make it. Uh, I won't have anything done in advance. I, I think that uh, we'll title this one called Just in Time. <laughs> Just in Time. That's it. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's not. Um, <laughs> Who would you say has impacted your life the most in competition barbecue? Probably two people, probably Phil Breeden and Fred, both of those. I've taken both of their classes and both classes. I mean, I took Phil's first, you know, that was early on, uh, probably after about maybe three, four months of cooking. Yeah. Uh, me and Phil got to talking and he didn't do classes back then. 
and he wanted to, but he cooks every weekend. He said, man, I'll do a shadow class. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's great. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll definitely do the shadow class. So I did the shadow class with him and he got first ribs and first brisket and GC'd the contest. And wow. You know, yeah, I was in the, uh, I was in the trailer the whole time and I took, you know, I took really good notes and I used those notes quite a bit, especially I kind of timestamped every move, mm-hmm. you know, go back to speaking about processes. I kind of timestamped every move as far as all the finishing processes. And, uh, I would use those to know when to slice my brisket, when to glaze my ribs and just all those different timestamps. But yeah, I was, we went to awards. And he ended up getting, like I said, first rib and first brisket and GC. Then everybody was partying back at his camp. And he went in the trailer and grabbed my notebook because I left my notebook in there when we went to <laughs> awards and handed me my notebook. And he said, hey, uh, look at the last page of your notes. You can show everybody because there was probably, I don't know, eight or ten guys. You know, they were all celebrating. Uh-huh. He goes, you can tell everybody the last line in your notes. And I'm like, Really? He's like, yeah, go ahead and you, you go ahead and tell him. So I opened it up, I looked at it, and he had wrote in there, "Go to your awards and and collect trophies and cash." <laughs> so, and I didn't know he'd written that in there. So all the guys were, uh, they were all laughing. It was pretty good. So, uh, but yeah, both both him and Fred, you know, have been uh, both really great friends as well. So uh, yeah, I had the pleasure of teaching with with Fred. We did a class together. Talk about two opposite approaches. It was, um, <laughs> he would teach something and I would just sit up there and shake my head. And then <laughs> I'd, I'd teach something and he'd, he'd roll his eyes and then make fun of my knives or something. <laughs> it was a good time. So when you hear the word successful in terms of barbecue, who's the first person that comes to mind? Probably Fred, you know, with the American Royal win and all his wins. But also, you know, there's a lot of guys that I've never met. You know, whether it be Darren Worth that I think is obviously uh, he's probably won more more majors than than I think anybody, I guess. You know, so I do think of him as well as Brad, as well as Blaine, all those guys, you know, that have turned barbecue into they've made a living out of it, really. So uh, I think all those guys have taken barbecue competition, but as well as has flipped it into something bigger and better and created, a, you know, and they're still involved in, in competition barbecue. But yeah. They, really have made a charge and, and built a career around what they've gotten in competition barbecue, as far as I can see. Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, and I, I think especially with the advent of, you know, the internet and technology and things and the way, you know, you mentioned the league, barbecue league, and I think it's really changing how how people will will attack this moving forward. Right. You know, there's just, there's a ton of information out there, but as I always said, it's hard deciphering what's the good information on the internet and what's not the good information. It's just like anything. Yep. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And I mean, people, I think too, in general, will, they'll chase a lot of ghosts. They'll try something once if it doesn't work. I mean, when I was first doing it, I was every weekend, man, I was Dr. Seuss trying something new to see if I could get something to hit. You know, it was, I was in there mixing all kinds of stuff, and half the time it did hit, I didn't know what I did. So uh, it yeah. took a while for me to kind of settle down and find a groove of something that where I'm today, I don't really make a whole lot of changes. You know, even if it doesn't hit, I still kind of stick to the program and keep running my program to a certain degree until until it's just, you know, I guess it goes a couple of weeks without hitting. But usually I'll, 
if I, you know, crash one contest the next week, I'll do pretty good or, you know, it'll, it'll bounce around. So uh, yeah, enough to keep me doing the same thing. So, <laughs> so we tried to get you to get locked into a superstition earlier with trimming your chicken at a contest. Do you have any other habits or rituals or routines that you have to do a contest? I don't have any, I don't know. I don't have any, uh, I don't have any rituals or, you know, I, I'm really not that superstitious, but I will get a little bit superstitious on clothing that I wear to awards. Really? So, yeah, I mean, just, I have a couple of different shirts, you know, I've got like a black shirt with a, with a white chicken fried logo. I've got black shirts with camo chicken fried logo for a while. I wore a cowboy hat, uh, a couple of times and I didn't walk at all. So I ditched the hat. Uh, <laughs> and even this week, you know, before I went to awards at Cedar fest, I was like, Hmm, cause I'd cooked here in Tomball and granted both days in Tomball. So I quickly looked on the internet to see, cause I had both shirts with me. You had to see which one I, I quickly looked to see on my Facebook, what shirt was I wearing? I was wearing a camo shirt. Okay. I'll put on the camo shirt again. You know, and I guess if, if I go to Wagner, Oklahoma this weekend, I'll wear a camo shirt to awards. And if I don't hit, I'll go back to the black and whites. So, but that's about the extent of it. And I'm sure none of that really makes a difference. So, oh, uh, it's got to, man. Come on. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll tell you this, you know, I was talking to Phil yesterday. I think it was yesterday, the day before he was driving and we were talking about flat tires. You see, I've been cooking for so long. I've never had a flat. I don't have a jack. I don't need a jack. I don't have a floor jack. I don't have a spare. I don't have any of it. I don't need any of that stuff. I believe if you have all that stuff, you kind of, you know, create the need for a flat. So uh, <laughs> I said, watch it. You're going to get two flats now that you're talking all this stuff. And and his wife was in there. She's like, shut up. It's going to happen. Now we're probably going to get a flat because you're talking about how we're never getting flats. And sure enough, the next day, he sent me a picture. The streak is over <laughs> oh, and he had no. a flat. Yeah. So. See, I, I guess I'm overly prepared for that because I carry two spares now. I just, <laughs> too many times it's happened that I just don't want to get stuck. <laughs> so you a music guy right. when you cook? I do. I play, uh, I play music. I definitely play music. So I've got a, a Spotify, you know, Spotify or whatever it is a playlist that I'm just constantly adding songs to. Um, yep. And I'll just let it roll. I don't really have a playlist for every turn in or anything like that, but I'll definitely have my music going. Um, well, and it's just a variety. It? Yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got kid rock. I've got, I like Eric church a lot. So I've got yeah. a lot of Eric church, <laughs> but yeah, I mean a variety I've got, well, let's see. I'll open her up real quick. Can't, uh, <laughs> actually think just, Old Dominion, Eric Church, Imagine Dragons. There you go. Uh, Dirks Bentley, ACDC, Morgan Whalen. Some a lot, probably more country than anything. But uh, I got some Guns N' Roses in there. Uh, got some Eric Clapton. That's good. Uh, That's a nice mix. Hank Williams Jr., Fifty Cent. You know. <laughs> Cypress Hill, Notorious B.I.G. So just a mixture of all sorts of uh, awesome. so, a mixture of everything. Probably no hardcore metal like, you know, Slayer or anything like that. But uh, 
Yeah, I don't get into that either. <laughs> That's probably the one genre that I probably don't. Uh, but I'll, you know, I'll get into Metallica and stuff like that for sure. So yeah. So you mentioned you're a gut feeling guy. That's how you like to cook, yeah. For sure, for sure. Is there any times where you can remember where your intuition didn't make sense with what the meat had been telling you? Like, like this you weekend. Felt... This weekend. Yeah. This weekend, I had it big time, man. I mean, I was. It happened. I mean, I was sitting there. I put my ribs on at eight o'clock, and. At 8.35, my ribs were, the bark was set and the color was perfect at, in 35 minutes. Oh, wow. And I've never, I've never wrapped my ribs at 35 minutes. And I'm like, man, these ribs look like they've been on for an hour and a half almost. You know, they look perfect. They look, if I let them go too much further, they're going to get too dark. But I just couldn't. I couldn't wrap my ribs at eight, eight thirty-five, and I struggled with it internally. I was fighting with it. Like, man, what do I do? Those ribs look perfect. They need to go in the wrap. And I, I ended up wrapping them at eight forty. I, I fought it for five minutes <laughs> and I could see five minutes later, they're just a hair darker and uh, I yanked them and wrapped them. And I was, uh, I was parked next to Fred and he was messing with his ribs and he's like, man, my ribs already got color. And I'm like, dude, I wrap my ribs after, after 40 minutes there in the wrap. I don't know if it was just so humid there, if that affected it. Cause it was a very humid day in Austin, you know, we're right outside of Austin. I wrapped them and, you know, I ended up walking fourth place in ribs uh, with all eights on appearance because <laughs> they were darker than what I would like. Wow. And I don't know if the, the darkness got it, but uh, I had eights all the way across the board on appearance, but nines in taste and texture. I think I had maybe one eight on taste, but yeah, they ended up, uh, they ended up walking forth, but it was definitely something that I was struggling with as far as wrapping them that early. Yeah. That's a great story. I've never wrapped ribs that early. I've, I've got them after an hour and 15, I wrapped them. Uh, and I'm yeah. trying to rem- remember the contest, but I, I'm pretty sure it was really humid. There might be something to that. Yeah, I mean, normally I'm an hour and 15, an hour and 30 minutes. Uh, I don't flip my ribs. I just cook them meat side up. Mm -hmm. Um, And once the bark is set and I got the color I want, it's usually, like I said, an hour and uh, 15, an hour and 30 minutes. But uh, 35 minutes was definitely out of the norm. So my brisket took a lot longer than normal, but ribs were going really fast. So uh, that's interesting. Because normally, if it's one meat's fast, then they're all fast. I've found. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I think is my temp gauge on my drum went out, and I oh. put a new temp gauge in it. And I didn't really, like, test to see if that temp gauge is accurate. I just have it there for, I don't know why, because I really don't use them that much. I just kind of let the drums cook. So, right. And my drums don't get too crazy hot. So they're, they're UDSs, you know, so they don't, even it's got a ball valve, even with the ball valve all the way open, they usually don't go past 325. So yeah. uh, unless I've just let the whole charcoal basket get on fire from the jump, you know? So Right. <laughs> Being that you're kind of, I don't want to say new to this, but what advice would you give to somebody that was about to enter competition barbecue? What advice should they hear before they jump into it? Well, I would say 
I mean, go judge, you know, which I did that. I judged a couple of IBCAs before I, uh, before I went out and actually cooked my first event. I don't know that that helped as much because, uh, I still wasn't able to replicate what I was tasting and in IBCA we're tasting, you know, 16 briskets start to all kind of blend together as a judge mm -hmm. when you're on brisket number 14 versus brisket number 15, they all kind of, they all start blending and merging together as one. I would say definitely get, get a, several cooks underneath your belt and then go take a class. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I probably cooked for, three months. And then I took a class, a shadow class. And that really just kind of having my own processes and being able to, my processes that didn't necessarily work, go take a class and learn some processes that do work, I think was really big. But I think having a, a base foundation of me trying to do it for a couple of months and having it not work to, to be able to be in a class and go, oh, normally I don't do this at this time. Normally I've been doing this at this time. So right. it gives uh, you context. Yeah. I mean, it gives you something to reference against. Whereas I think taking a class off the jump, you've got really nothing to reference and how much of that information you'll draw from the class is maybe questionable. So yeah. that's a great point. What advice should a new cook ignore? Yeah, I don't know. Like you said earlier, you know, there's a bunch of stuff on YouTube. I don't know that I would pay attention to a lot of that. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of YouTubers out there that that don't do competitions that do competition videos. And, you know, I've seen them and I thought, well, and you know, I don't, I think probably a lot of competition cooks have seen them and, you know, you'll see guys injecting ribs with, you know, Turkey based, you know, Turkey injectors, not too many competition guys are going to get in there and correct them. They just probably just, you know, move on and, you know, let the guy continue to shoot a rib with a, a Turkey injector. So, <laughs> so I would definitely stay, Stay clear of, of some of the YouTubers for sure, you know, unless they're actually a proven competition cook, you know, like I've watched your chicken trim. I've watched that a lot. So people that have actually have a, you know, check them on barbecue data. <laughs> you know, if someone's <laughs> giving you some advice, I would reference them on barbecue data before I would take on what they have to say, because there is a lot of people out there and people that have done competition for 20 years, you know, down here in Texas, there's a lot of guys that have been cooking for 20 years. And they haven't really walked in 20 years. They will tell you how to do things. Uh, right. So I would definitely reference them on barbecue data before I took any advice from them. Man, that's another great nugget right there. Lots of, lots of guys that, are, you know, have been on the circuit forever and they want to give you advice. I remember when I started and getting a bunch of advice and it was part of that, you know, figuring out who to listen to and, and what's what's right and what's not that's that's a great point and there's lots of information out there and uh, there's lots of people selling classes out there yeah and you know you can go to some places and just buy someone's chicken class if you want to i would check to see their chicken record before i bought their chicken class you know i've had people come to me go, i'm gonna run so-and-so's chicken i'm like well, why are you running that chicken have you seen his chicken scores so right uh, yeah that's a good I would point it's easy to be, even some of them have big names in barbecue. Some of them do have, and maybe, you know, back in the day, they did have a great chicken or, or whatnot, but, Things you know, change. barbecue changes, I think it's changing. It's always uh, moving forward. There's, you know, I see a lot of, there's a lot of old timers here in, in my region of Texas, and some of them have done really, you know, they've been cooking 15 years and they're still killing it on the trail. And they will tell you that they've had to change where, 
some of their best friends are still doing the same stuff they did 10 years ago. And, you know, they've got several titles, but now they don't walk, you know, they just, and a lot of it's, they haven't changed with, uh, you know, maybe they're not injecting ribs. I don't know. So, uh, yeah, that's a good point. uh, What do you think separates a good pit master from a great pit master? Oh man. That I don't know. I'm still surprised when I walk, you know? So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I still, I mean, I was sitting there on the porch last week and I was sitting there talking to Fred and, uh, I was like, man, are you, do you ever like get surprised that, that you turn in what you feel like is average barbecue and it ends up doing well, you know, it's kind of amazing that the stuff, I mean, I'm not turning in crack cocaine that judges are going <laughs> crazy about, you know, it's just, kind of just average food and somehow some way it ends up I'm just waiting for the shoe to fall to where you just go and just get belted and not get anything and uh you know friends like yeah a lot of people just try to do too much man they put too much stuff on it they really try to just get put too much wow on it and it ends up hurting them you know so yeah no I guess I it's I tell people all the time you have to realize you're not cooking for you you're cooking for six people you don't know. So it has to appeal to a broad range of right. people and palates and tastes and all those different things. Yeah. But you take that Luke, you know, and, and you know, that philosophy, it has to appeal to everyone. It needs to be pretty broad or whatnot, but you don't want eights. You need nines, you, you need know, nines. Eights, You're right. <laughs> eights are, you know, I was talking to a buddy, he got all eights on ribs and taste and, He's like, man, what do I do? I said, man, I, I actually don't know because eight is eight's above average. It's classified as what very good, you know? Right. Uh, <laughs> the difference between a eight, which is very good, and a nine, which is what exceptional, or I'm not sure what the exact definition, but they're both, you know, eights and nines are both above average and great barbecue. So it's it's <laughs> nines nines cash checks. Yeah, nines you get paid. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you want it to be middle of the road, but at the same time, too, you want it to get a nine. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, Bill, thank you for being on here. It's my favorite time. It's rapid fire question time. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) What do you see about barbecue on social media that upsets or bothers you? Uh, probably people complaining, you know, I'm just not a big complainer. You know, if people are complaining about judges or the system or whatever, I mean, again, you know, you can use barbecue data to look up some of the best cooks in the country and you can see that those guys get goose eggs or those guys get a 159 or, you know, they're not, no one's immune from, uh, from getting hammered by the judges and, uh, Right. You know, some of those guys just take their lumps and move on to the next contest and then they end up winning, you know, so. I'm glad you referenced Blaine's 159. It's fantastic. (laughs) 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 Do you have a a favorite pre, during, or post-competition meal? I like Mexican food. Usually after contest, I'll get Mexican food. uh, And usually if I come home, I'll usually make a ham sandwich. So. Um, I'll get a nice ham and cheese uh, sandwich. I, I mean, uh, that's probably the only after uh, before I don't really have anything. I do buy Lunchables. Uh-huh. So that's during I will have Lunchables on hand usually. And a lot of times I'll get those uh, Crustables, a little peanut butter and jelly oh. sandwiches. Dude, so I'll get those. 
I have a great uncrustable story. Yeah, so I, I, used, I used to work in the frozen food industry as a lobbyist. And wow. when those came out, we had this reception where people would send all their frozen foods and the hotel would prepare them. So the hotels or so Smuckers sent, I don't know, 300 Uncrustables. And they didn't read anything about them. They just had to thaw them out. Well, the chef at this hotel deep fried every one of them. Oh, wow. They were fantastic. <laughs> the guy from Smuckers was so pissed off. He's like, you guys ruined. And I looked at him and I said, have you tried this? It's fantastic. And he just walked away. He looked at me, shook his head and walked away. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> but the hotel deep fried 300 Uncrustables. It was amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, I haven't I haven't tried it deep fried, but you know I order a lot of my stuff on HEB online curbside pickup. Yeah, so I have like a saved list of you know the beef broths, the sugar, syrup, all this stuff, the butter, and everything that I need, and uh, crustables and, and uncrustables and lunchables are in that routine. So uh, usually nice. at every contest, uh, you know, on a Friday or Thursday when I leave, I I've even started ordering my kale on uh, you know. See, and you uh, do I even have like routines. Huh? You do have routines, Bill. See, you do. I, well, I'm lazy and uh, <laughs> I don't want to go into the store, you know, so I will <laughs> I will do everything online and roll up there. I won't do meat online, but uh, sure. I did do kale online and I had to send it all back. I'm like, this is all yellow. Do you have anything better? Uh, and they came back with all this organic kale and didn't charge, didn't, you know. There you go. Didn't even charge me for it. So, uh, <laughs> do you have a, a favorite to this week? Yeah. Go ahead. Do you have a favorite present that you like to give to people? No. Here lately, I've been giving people uh, bottles of my rub. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, you know, I usually take like a whole bunch of it to a contest and I'll just hand it out, you know? So, uh, uh, but yeah, that's probably the only thing that I've been given here lately is uh, just handing out shakers of the chicken fried rib grind. So right on. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, getting a message out to millions or billions, what would it say and why? Follow chicken fried BBQ. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram, Tell people Facebook, where to find you. Platforms. Oh, Follow me on Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok, uh, the whole, all the gamuts at Chicken Fried BBQ is the, is the page or the name for all of them. So, but yeah, that would be on my billboard. So there you go. I love it. I love those answers. Those are the best answers. By old Virginia Smith <laughs> is what mine is. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Well, thank you so much for being on here. I really do appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to seeing you out there again soon. Perfect. Thanks for having me, Luke. I appreciate it, bud. Absolutely. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast. Be sure to subscribe and like the podcast, rate the podcast, and share it out with all your friends. Also, be sure to check out the Old Virginia Smoke YouTube channel as well. We will have another episode for you next week. For companies interested in advertising, please contact Old Virginia Smoke directly via www.oldvirginiasmoke.com. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is edited by Chris Sedenka. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is a property of Old Virginia Smoke, LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2021. Yes, Old Virginia Smoke.